Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The new report says that the pilots on the Ethiopian airline in that 737 MAX did everything that Boeing said they should do. Followed the procedures exactly, and it didn't work. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday, April 4? It is the Bill Press Show. That's who we are. That's who I am, uh, and we're coming out to you live from our nation's capital with the news of the day all across the board. We've got it covered, whatever news is happening at the, uh, down at the Congress, whatever news is happening at the White House. There's a lot of action yesterday. Congress taking, uh, uh, moving forward with its agenda on several fronts, whether it was had to do with uh, the president's tax returns or had to do with getting the full copy of the Mueller report. Uh, with health care or a big tussle over judges over in the United States Senate and how much time is allowed to debate uh, the president's nominees for federal judges. Uh, there was a lot going on, and down at the White House, as always, Donald Trump keeping up with his record of 22 lies a day. Uh, <laughs> and it takes us almost full time to tell you about them and to refute them any rate, lots going on. As always, we look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day. You know how to do so. Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Great lineup of guests today, including uh, one of our favorites, the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, the Honorable Mark Pocan from the 2nd dis District of Wisconsin will be joining us, plus a former CNN White House uh, anchor, uh, correspondent, Jessica Yellen, you may remember her, and Sam Baker from Axios to tell us the latest on health care and the Republicans plan, Republican plans now, if you can keep them straight. All of that coming up, but first... 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. So you remember the Unite the Right rally that happened in Charlottesville, the infamous rally yeah. where Donald Trump said there are some very fine people <laughs> in the crowd. Well, Jason Kessler was one of the organizers that helped put that all together. And when he gave a press <laughs> conference at the time, Jeffrey Winder was a protester who was there that actually punched Kessler in the head while he was giving his press conference. Now, Jeffrey Winder was uh, charged and was found guilty of a misdemeanor, and yesterday a jury ruled on his punishment. His punishment? He's going to be fined. You know how much? Dollar and a half. One dollar. One, no kidding, really? One dollar. The Whoa. jury ruled that his punishment for hitting a Nazi is a whopping one dollar fine. And I just have to say, sometimes things work yeah. out pretty well. Yeah. Things yeah. Work out. If, if, like paying a dollar to punch a Nazi in the head, okay, I'd say that's worth it. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's worth it. Let's go to Arkansas, where two men, Charles Ferris and Christopher Hicks, were both arrested and charged with felony aggravated assault. What exactly did they do? Well, they had too much to drink, and they put on bulletproof vests, and they shot each other. Now, they both survived, but they had to go to the hospital because they were both in so much pain after being shot by themselves multiple times by their friend while they were wearing bulletproof vests. So they went to the hospital. They made up some BS story, and the cops saw right through it and charged both of them. I guess the moral of the story here is uh, do not drink and play with guns and bulletproof vests. There's so many things wrong with that There are a lot of lessons to learn here. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Do they get the Darwin Award for this year? Well, they didn't die. So normally, uh, still should get the normally the Darwin Dar- Award yeah. goes to someone who died doing something stupid. They they certainly get an honorable mention at the Darwin <laughs> Awards because they could have both easily, very easily died. Uh, but for better or worse, they're still around. <laughs> they must have had a lot to drink. A lot to drink. This is the Bill Press Show. Some of Robert Mueller's associates are now saying that Bill Barr did not tell the whole truth about the Mueller report in his four-page summary. Duh. Did we really expect Bill Barr to tell the whole truth? Why should he? Donald Trump does it. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Here we go. Thursday, April 4. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. That's what we do every day for the next two hours. We'll do our job of telling you, bringing you up to date on the news of the day. Some of it you know. Some of it will be a big surprise to you. Maybe you'll be hearing it for the first time. We'll tell you what's going on. We'll give you our progressive take on the news and... Your comments and your take on what it all means to you, what you think about it, uh, coming back uh, the other way. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being with us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thank you so much for joining us on television, on free speech TV, coast to coast. And as we reach out to you in Indiana statewide on Indiana, on the radio on Indiana Talks, 
and all over Chicago and the great city of Chicago and the great roundabout communities around Chicago, uh, we join you on WCPT. And by the way, again, congratulations to Lori Lightfoot. I have, I don't remember any race being as one-sided as that one. Well, I was a little surprised because Tony Preckwinkle was a, was a, a very good candidate as well, head of the uh, Chicago School Board. We sort of had a liking and a preference for Lori Lightfoot because um, she was kind enough to come in studio here when she was in Washington. But at any rate, she she clobbered her opponent, Lori Lightfoot, winning 76 to 24. Wow. Again, I don't remember any race for any office being that one-sided, that lopsided. Uh, so I can't think of one. That's amazing. It is. I think it's a real testament to... Lori Lightfoot's campaign, and she ran a campaign. It was a campaign against the machine, against the establishment. It was a real sort of almost a, not that she's uh, necessarily a supporter of Bernie Sanders. I don't even know, but it was a um, an our revolution uh, kind of campaign. Uh, the people rising up against the long, long lasting political establishment machine of Chicago. But anyhow, congratulations again to Lori Lightfoot and to the people of Chicago who've got a great new mayor, a great new start, uh, and we expect and uh, looking forward to great things. Good to have you with us today again. A great lineup of guests. Sam Baker from uh, Axios will be here to give us the latest on the health care. As we've t- talked the last couple of days, it's a changing target as exactly where the Trump administration Republicans are on health care. Uh, Sam will bring us up to date on that. Congressman Mark Pocan, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, will be along uh, to talk about a lot of the things that happened in Congress yesterday uh, in terms of the president's tax returns, particularly, and the Mueller report. And then Jessica Yellen, who used to cover the White House for CNN, left CNN a couple of years ago, uh, and she is in town to talk about her new book, uh, about a young White House, female White House reporter, a uh, book called Savage News. Yes, indeed. Uh, we start with a little breaking news just broke on MSNBC. BuzzFeed is reporting that Congressman Tim Ryan, a frequent guest on our show uh, and a good friend, will announce he is running for president. He's going to announce in the next couple of days. Uh, which surprises me. Uh, I know him pretty well. We know him pretty well. Um, I know he was thinking about it. Uh, he and I had dinner one night, just the two of us, at uh, Aqua Aldue, right down the street here, uh, to talk about uh, whether or not he should run and how he might go about it. Um, and uh, I introduced Tim Ryan to some um, Wealthy friends of mine in Los Angeles. At one point, he happened to be he and I happened to be out there at the same time, and he was talking to them about the possibility of running. Uh, but he hasn't said much about it lately. I sort of thought he had decided there were too many other people in the race. Maybe this was not the time. But um, according to BuzzFeed, uh, he will announce. They didn't say exactly when. Next couple of days. There you go. Um, What's that, 17, I don't know, 15, 16? And then you still got, also, I was told yesterday by a a mutual friend of Terry McAuliffe's, I'm a friend of Terry's, this other person friend, who had talked to Terry McAuliffe yesterday morning, and Terry McAuliffe confirmed to him that he was going to, yes, run, uh, for sure. 
uh, and it was just a matter of, matter of a week or so before he gets in. So Tim Ryan, Joe Biden, Terry McAuliffe, come on in. The water's fine. There you go. Even somebody said that Michael Bloomberg was rethinking his decision not to run. At any rate, uh, with Tim Ryan, the biggest news story of the day, I think, is this one. It is the lead story in the New York Times, and it is stunning. Um, we know what happened. And this is a good reminder. We have not seen the Mueller report. Please remember that. Every time you hear any Republican say, hey, the Mueller report totally exonerated Donald Trump. Anytime you hear Donald Trump say, eh, it's over and I was totally cleared. Robert Mueller gave me a clean bill of health. No collusion, no obstruction, no nothing. It's all over. And Repub Democrats just lied about it. Anytime you hear that, just dismiss it. We have not, we don't know what the Mueller report says. We really don't. Nobody has seen it except the attorney general and a couple of people and the Mueller team at the very top of the Justice Department. All we have seen is a four-page memory, a memo rather, a four-page summary of the Mueller report written by Donald Trump's attorney general, who, remember, was appointed attorney general so he would be in a position to do just what he's doing which is either keep the Mueller report locked up or undermine it or pretend that it says what it doesn't say and particularly pardon the president from or absolve the president uh, of any charge of obstruction of justice. That's That was Bill Barr's job, and he has done his job. He has done what Donald Trump could fire him tomorrow and Bill Barr would have done everything that Donald Trump wanted from him as attorney general. So in light of that, that all we've seen is the report, this is why this, 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 this latest news out of the Mueller camp is extremely important. There are several associates of Robert Mueller who worked with him for the last two years on his team who have told the New York Times that Bill Barr, the attorney general's summary, does not reflect what the Mueller report really says. They say that the, the, the report is much more damaging to Donald Trump, that they document ex cases of collusion. No, they don't come up to that it amounts to a criminal conspiracy, but they document several uh, instances, a lot of proof of that there was collusion. There was collusion. And that there was very sufficient evidence that Donald Trump went to obstruct justice. Uh, just reading from the very first, uh, summing up what I just said, the very first paragraph of the New York Times article, some of Robert Mueller's investigators have told associates that Attorney General William P. Barr failed to adequately portray the findings of their inquiry, and they were more troubling for President Trump than Mr. Barr indicated. So Barr still hasn't released the report. He says now he's editing the report. He's taken out anything he doesn't think um, should be shown, whether it's grand jury testimony or national security stuff. We don't know what he's taking out and what he's leaving in. 
Uh, we're trusting, we're going to trust him, Donald Trump's guy, to decide what we can see and what we can't see. No freaking way. That's why the Democrats said yesterday, uh, uh, voted yesterday in the House Judiciary Committee to demand the full report. Let's see the whole damn thing, and it's up to Congress to decide whether there's any part of it that's so sensitive that we, the public, should not see it. Chairman Jerry Nadler yesterday, and by the way, here are his suspicions, and his statement came before this story from the Mueller team broke in the New York Times. We have reason to suspect this administration's motives. The Mueller report probably isn't the, quote, total exoneration, unquote, the president claims it to be. Very, very, very good point, Jerry. So all the more, all the more important that we get the uh, that that we get the full Mueller report, and again, and all the background information that went into that report. Uh, it was some. They said four hundred pages, as I recall, but uh, but it was a three-page, a four four-page summary by Bill Barr, and we demand and deserve uh, a lot more than that. Meantime, also at the, in the House yesterday, the Ways and Means Committee sent out a letter from the chairman, Chairman Richard Neal uh, from Massachusetts, uh, to the IRS saying, in accordance with the law, we want the last six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. Uh, as we've, we know, as a candidate, Donald Trump refused to release his tax returns Uh, He said he was under audit, therefore he didn't have to do it. Everybody said at the time that was totally bogus. There's no rule that says if you're under audit, you can't release your tax returns. Yes, you can. He is just the first presidential candidate since George Washington not to do so. Um, By the way, I just threw that in there. I'm not sure (laughs) whether George Washington did or not. (laughs) All I know is that every modern presidential candidate, nominee, Republican, and Democrat, they've all released their tax returns. And most of the ones who are running for 2020 among Democrats this year are have done so or in the process of doing so. Donald Trump refused to do so, and we know why, because he's got so many damn secrets about so many loans that he owns the Russians or the Germans or whomever. He doesn't want us to see them. At any rate, um, uh, again, our good friend Dan Kildee from Michigan, who's a member of the Ways and Means Committee, said yesterday— um, this is this is within our right and duty to get these returns. Section 6103 of the code is very clear. The chairman of the Ways and Means Committee can request a copy of these returns, and the IRS commissioner is legally bound to provide them. Section 6103 of the tax code, very good for Dan Kildee. Uh, the commissioner is bound to uh, release them if the chairman requests it. And uh, Congressman Kildee goes on. And, of course, we expect the IRS to, um, gee, maybe to follow the law. Well, we expect that the IRS commissioner will follow the law. Uh Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be uh, (laughs) surprising? By the way, it's going to if they don't, be interesting to hear whatever excuse they give. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday asked about it. He falls back on the same old excuse. Now, um, we're under audit. Uh, despite what uh, people said, and we're uh, working that out, as I'm always under audit, it seems, but I've been under audit for many years because the 
the numbers are big, and I guess when you have a name, you you're audited. But uh, uh, until such time as I'm not under audit, I would not be inclined to do that. Oh God, they're picking on me again just because I'm Donald Trump and I'm famous. Gosh, so I wish I could. Me. I wish I could. I would love to, but I just can't do it. Uh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I believe even Donald Trump's uh, financial advisors have pointed out that, no, the law does not say if you're under audit, you can't release your returns. He could. He doesn't want to. And he probably won't unless he's forced to. But the IRS commissioner is compelled under the law to do so. And uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, We'll see where that goes. The most important point is that the fight over Donald Trump Trump's tax returns is on, baby. It is on. Uh, And it started yesterday in the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, And meanwhile, on another issue, (laughs) Republicans are still trying to figure out where the hell they are on the issue of health care. Again, we're going to be talking more about this with Sam Baker from Axios in our next half hour. Um, But Donald Trump is now saying... so. We know that um, last week the president went up to Capitol Hill to meet with Senate Republicans, and he surprised them by saying, I'm here because this is the day after the Mueller report came out, by the way. The summary, again, of the Mueller report came out. And the president went up and he surprised the Senate Republicans as he's walking into the caucus by saying, I'm here because the Republican Party is going to become the party of health care. And we're going to come up with a great new plan this year uh, and we're to replace Obamacare. And the Republican senators all looked at one another and said, we're going to what? <laughs> who, told, who decided to do this? Came as a complete surprise. Even Mitch McConnell said, um, well, I look forward to what the president's going to put on the table. Mitch Mitch McConnell had no idea. He said that publicly. And then privately, he called the president and said, I'm paraphrasing here, you're out of your freaking mind. We don't have a plan. There's no way we could get a plan together this year. And, Mr. President, we're not going to do it. He said this. We are not going to do it before the 2020 election. I made it clear to him we were not going to be doing that in the Senate. He did say, as he later uh, tweeted, he accepted that. Yeah. That's straight from the horse's mouth. Straight from the horse's mouth. Again, so Donald Trump immediately came out and said, I never said, I never said I wanted a plan this year. Yes, he did. And you just heard Mitch McConnell say, I told the president we're not going to do it. So now they have backed up and their new position is, Okay, we're going to do it after the 2020 election. Okay, so get a grip on what's going on. They're in the court right now, the Trump administration and Donald Trump. They're in the court right now saying we want to junk all of Obamacare. All of it. All of it. That's They were asking the judge to do, and they'll go to the Supreme Court. If the judge, whichever way the judge rules, it'll end up at the Supreme Court. That's the position of the Trump administration. Jump, dump all of Obamacare and do it now. And then they're saying, but trust us, you're going to be out of a luck, up a creek without a paddle for about a year and a half. But if you reelect us in 2020, 
we'll come up with a new plan. We promise. <laughs> that's that's where they are. And Trump is now saying, I never said we were going to do it right away. Uh, let's go back to um, thanks to Think Progress. They went back and they, they identified 68 times that Donald Trump promised he's going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something new day one of his presidency. Let me just read a couple of them. Here it is. Milford, New Hampshire, February the 2nd, 2016. Everybody in here, many of you know me. From day one, I've been talking about we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. From day one, we're going to do it. If you remember, so important, from day one, I'm saying repeal and replace Obamacare. Asheville, North Carolina, September 12, 2016. On my first day in office, I'm going to ask Congress to send me a bill to immediately repeal and replace Obamacare. The next day in Clive, Ohio, on also on my first day, I will ask Congress to send me a bill to immediately repeal and replace disastrous Obamacare. And now he's saying, I never said that. How can they just lie like that? I never said that. What I'm saying now is trust us. Give us a Republican Senate. Put the House back in the Republicans. Reelect me. Give us another chance. And after the elections in 2020, we'll come up with a new plan to replace Obamacare, which we've already killed in the courts. Only a fool would accept that or vote for that. Unfortunately, there are a couple of fools <clears throat> still out there, uh, I'm afraid. Um, but that's the latest on the health care front. Again, more with that with uh, Sam Baker coming up in the next half hour. Uh, a little news on the 2020 front on, on several. Uh, first of all, interesting, uh, we now have another one, Beto O'Rourke, reporting his financial haul in the first quarter. In the first 100 uh, no, first 18 days of his campaign, he reports that he raised a good, healthy $9.4 million. Average contribution, 43 bucks, uh, from 218,000 donors, 99% of those contributions coming online. That's pretty good. It's a half of what Bernie Sanders raised. But still, for a better O'Rourke, and he he got in after Bernie, but it's a it shows he's got a good, healthy, grassroots donor base that's going to make him a serious presidential candidate. You know, our friend uh, that makes him a serious presidential uh, candidate. Uh, our, our friend Alex Seitzwald was talking about some of these numbers, mm -hmm. and he was saying like these are all good and healthy numbers, and they shouldn't be looked at as anything less than that. But they are down from the last presidential cycle. Now, it's kind of like comparing a shoe with a shoelace. It's right, completely right. different, right? And I think these are very impressive numbers considering that you have 15 yeah. different candidates. Uh, so, so far, a lot of people have reported. I mean, yeah, uh, by comparison, when you put these Beto O'Rourke numbers against, say, Pete Buttigieg, it really shows that Pete Buttigieg can raise some yeah. Some damn money. So Buttigieg, Buttigieg was $7 million, Beto, 9.4, Kamala, 12, yep. Bernie, 18. 
Bobby, you know what Barack Obama was in the first quarter? What? $25 million. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. man. So, you know, you got to look at that, too, Oof. right? Yeah. <laughs> so nobody... You're right, though. There are more candidates here. Yeah. Then it was basically yeah. Barack and Hillary, right? And, right, right. And, uh, but he knocked everybody's socks off with that. Um, so we've been waiting to hear. Still haven't heard from Elizabeth Warren. Still haven't heard from... Kirsten Gillibrand or uh, Cory Booker or um, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar, right? Uh, some of the others. Uh, we did hear from Andrew Yang, which was like one point seven million. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard hasn't weighed in yet either. No. I haven't seen the Tulsi numbers yet, Bill. I'm sorry. No dollar and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen them. Uh, other news: Bernie's going to have another town hall. This is interesting. Bernie's going to have a town hall um, on April fifteenth. Up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, on Fox News. Yeah, CNN's been uh, dominating and has um, has had a monopoly on the uh, town halls lately. Fox is want to get wants to get in the game. Uh, it's going to be Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, April fifteen, up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, and by the way, uh, reminding us that yesterday we learned the second presidential debate among Democrats. First one's going to be held down in Miami in June. The second one will be held July 30, July 31 in Detroit um, among all the uh, Democratic candidates who meet that uh, um, the criteria put forth by the, by, by the uh, DNC. Um, by the way, I saw a lot of uh, uh, people getting very upset at Bernie Sanders going on Fox News. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. I think yeah. the Democratic uh, National Committee was smart to not have any debates right. on Fox News. But yeah. if you're a Democratic candidate running for president, why in the world wouldn't you go if it's into a, enemy territory to try and make your case? If it's a town hall yeah. for an hour, and by the way, this is not Sean Hannity, right, right. or Laura Ingram. Um, uh, uh, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum are respected anchors. They're going to ask, ask some tough questions, but... Hey, that's what it's all about. Anybody right? should be wary of going on Fox News, and if Bernie thinks he's going to walk in there and get the same type of town hall that he would get on CNN, he's wrong. But you know, the, like like you said, it's not Tucker Carlson right. or Sean Hannity. Uh, Pete, pardon me. Pete Buttigieg had a good day yesterday too, up in uh, at Northeastern University in Boston. Um, he was scheduled to go there. They originally scheduled him in a room uh, that holds uh, two hundred. They had to. Uh, Get a new room that holds 500, and then they had to get a new room because more and more people kept showing up. They ended up with a crowd of 1,000 on the campus. Uh, the headline was, Pete Buttigieg gets huge crowd at Northeastern. I just want to point out, that's not quite the 20,000 that Kamala Harris got in Oakland or the 18,000 Bernie Sanders got in San Francisco, but still shows that Pete Buttigieg is he's having a moment. He's a good man, good, good candidate. He's getting out there, and he's getting good response, and apparently uh, the students out there loved him. So, see, we're just getting started here. So much to talk about today here, uh, and again, particularly on the health care, which is really uh, heating up and looks like it's uh, going to be the big issue in 2020 the same way it was in 2018. Our good friend Sam Baker from Axios will tell, it all, tell us uh, all about it. So... Uh, Hang in there. Quick break, and then we'll be right back. We want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day so far on Twitter, at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. 
You bet it is. And it's Thursday, April 4, good friends. Great to see you today and good to have you with us. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United, by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, good men and women of the Teamsters Union. Uh, they're very upset about the idea that the president might close the border because so many of the Teamster members are part of that, um, uh, the truckers that bring the goods up and take the goods down to Mexico uh, every day, uh, as I heard yesterday uh, from my good friend, uh, President Jim Hoffa of the Teamsters. Check out their website for more on that issue at teamster.org. We welcome to the studio here for the next half hour from Axios, uh, healthcare editor and uh, some other stuff as well, our good friend Sam Baker. Sam, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Still live in the neighborhood, right? I do. All right. Nice there you walk. go. Yeah. Nice day. A friend and neighbor. Uh, we've been uh, stirring things up for a little bit here. We want to check in with our viewers and listeners before we move forward. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots of comments uh, where we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. You can uh, always find us there on any topic at any time. Uh, we played the clip from Mitch McConnell on healthcare, where he said he told Donald Trump not to do this. And uh, You said it came straight from the horse's mouth. Walker Ogden says, uh, straight from the horse's mouth? I think you got the wrong end of the horse, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, fair point. Uh, on the tax returns, uh, Phil points out it's worth noting that, only dem- that the only Democratic candidates who have released their tax returns in full are Gillibrand, Inslee, and Klobuchar. Sanders says that he will. Harris has a history of releasing only a limited tax history, and the others are theoretically forthcoming. So those are the ones that we know right now. Gillibrand, Inslee, and Klobuchar have all released their tax returns. The rest say that they're being prepared for release or... Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, not releasing all of well, them. Thank you. Good information. Yeah, just just put that out there. Uh, also on Donald Trump's taxes, Jim says, since I assume you get a letter from the IRS when they audit your taxes, Congress should request Trump's audit letter letters from the IRS. That's another good point. Mm-hmm. That's another very good point. Yeah. And uh, we had a poll up yesterday. Do you think Trump will close? the U.S.-Mexico border. That poll is now closed, so we have some very, very, very scientific results, Bill. Uh, 26% of you say yes. That he will do it. That he will do it, yes. Do you think Trump will close the U.S.-Mexico border? 26% say yes. 69% say no. And 5% of you say you are undecided. You know, so the big threat is what people see it, but that that he's never going to actually carry through with it. Uh, yeah, well, that's what they said about his threat to shut down the government, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. If you have a comment on any of those topics or anything else, of course, you can always find us on Twitter, at BP Show. And, and now, Sam, they seem to be taking, like, uh, economic advisor Larry Kudlow says, well, who's been advising the president against doing this, uh, now says, well, now we're looking at different things that we might be able to do, like maybe we can keep the truck lanes open, but here, here he is yesterday. One area we've explored is to try to keep the freight lanes open, mm-hmm. and the truck lanes. And uh, you know, I've talked to various officials in DHS and others who are not more knowledgeable than I, and that is possible. Mm, yeah, maybe not so much. But there's so much. There's people. There are people that go back and forth to work every day, right? In these border states, yeah. Uh, both north and south, legally, totally legally, for jobs. 
the people who go to school <laughs> legally family. cross the borders. You're right. Visit their family yep. back and forth. I mean, it's, it's not just letting the trucks through. And by and right. anyhow, it's a crazy idea. What's going? What is the official position of the Trump <laughs> administration as of today, uh, April four, early in the morning on in Washington D.C. on the Obamacare? Uh, it is Kill the, it all. Yes. Repair it. Fix it. Replace it. What is it? It is kill it all. That is the position they've taken in court, and that is as far as they've gotten. Any other position is totally theoretical, doesn't exist yet, may or may not ever exist. All they have said so far is they believe the courts should throw out the whole law. And that's not what they were saying until last week. Correct. Right? Correct. They were previously saying the courts should throw out what remains of the individual mandate and then the protections for people with pre-existing conditions, which you remember we went through this whole debate in 2012 Mm. about if you lose the mandate, you know, it's there to sort of make these other provisions work, or that was the thinking at the time. Right. Uh, so there was sort of an argument then that those things were all wrapped up together. Uh, the mandate turned out to not be very effective, and Congress repealed it. So, you know, that has changed. That is a new circumstance, new sort of facts on the ground. Um, but yeah, the administration was saying, still go ahead and throw out those. It's three provisions, the mandate and then two protections for pre-existing conditions. Uh, but then they changed their mind, apparently, at Trump's personal uh, request or command. Command. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and now say throughout the whole thing, which is just there's so much more in there than people know. It was a big law. They just kind of threw a lot of stuff in that in, it's all in, under the hood stuff. It's boring, but it matters a lot in healthcare. It's like finding a new way for Medicare to pay doctors is more efficient, which, again, I know that's not going to light anybody's hair on fire, but we spend too much money on health care. So, like, this is how we're trying to figure out how to spend less. You also have... Get that know, cost curve Exactly. Down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a new class of drugs that the FDA can approve because they got authority under Obamacare. So that would go away. Uh, calorie labels on restaurant menus. That's part of Obamacare. That would, you know... Preventive care. Preventive care. And then, you know, the, the bigger headline, 20 million people's health care. Right, you'd get rid of the exchanges, which cover about 12 million people. You get rid of the Medicaid expansion, which covers about another 12 million people. Mm-hmm. Like, these are real lives. States have really built their systems around the Medicaid expansion, in particular. Like, this would just be more disruptive than I think anyone can even fathom. Right well, now. Congressman Pete King, Republican from Long Island, made the point that you know we've been at this for 10 years, right? And you know you can't just when something gets established and people start depending on it and are enjoying benefits that they could never afford before, it's hard to just throw it all out. Right? Yeah. And to it's hard to throw it all out and to pick this fight now after you just lost badly in the midterms on this exact issue, not only to pick the fight because they were already – as we just talked about, on this lawsuit and already mm-hmm. threatening pre-existing conditions before the midterm. But to escalate it, to say, all right, now we want to take away even more, I, I don't understand. Well, um, and Mick Mulvaney, uh, acting chief of staff, uh, said just Sunday uh, that we, we, Trump administration, we want to 
protect people with pre-existing conditions, and anybody who says otherwise is a, is lying. Yeah, that's not true. That's a lie. Yeah. yeah right? That's because a, a they lie are, about lying. They, right. <laughs> yes. They are in court officially saying get rid of all of Obamacare, which includes the right. protection for pre-existing condition. It does, that does not stand alone. That's right. part of Obamacare. Exactly. And that was the first part they wanted to get rid of, too. You know, it's not like they've said throw it all out except mm-hmm. keep this part. They started with throw out that part and then have added the rest. And this, I mean, this came up before the midterms, too. Trump always says it, but congressional Republicans, too, say, well, of course we want to protect people with pre-existing, you know, how dare you imply otherwise? <clears throat> it's to do it in a way other than the way Obamacare does it, which is just tell insurance companies, you have to do this. And the federal government will help pay for people's health care because it's very expensive to do. Mm. It's a pretty simple solution. It's a pretty blunt instrument, right? You have to do it. We understand it's expensive. We'll help. If you don't do it that way, you know, they keep saying, well, we'll just come up with another way of doing it. Right. Romney had one. It wouldn't actually cover everyone. You know, if you don't reinstate some other parts of the law, your new mandate doesn't work as well. There are still holes in it. They don't have to cover, for example, the drugs that someone with a pre-existing condition needs, which means the coverage right. is sort of useless. So this sort of incredibly top line, like, of course we want to do that. Well, all right, how? Because there's never been a, I mean, Republicans have never coalesced around any policy, but none of the ones they've even thrown out there have ever been as comprehensive or, you know, as, as sort of airtight as what's in Obamacare. Right. That's what they want to get rid of. Okay. So now you've got this uh, in-court official position, kill Obamacare, all, all of it. And at, uh, and at the same time, president is saying, we're going to be the party of health care, mm-hmm. but we're not, and we're going to replace Obamacare with something, but not until after the 2020 election. Right. So we're supposed to trust them from killing Obamacare, assuming the judge rules that way, right? In the interim, there'll be nothing. Right. And then in 2020, they're going to come up with a plan, which in the last 10 years, they haven't come up with yet. Right. 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 And a couple things. One, Trump's argument is, well, there's no point doing it now because Democrats have the House. Democrats didn't have the House when they tried repeal and replace last time. It was 50. It was Trump. Right. If you think he uniquely is a solution, you had him. You had a Republican Senate and and you had a Republican House. Yeah. And they couldn't get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And the (laughs) other I mean, this is all just sort of there's been a lot of reporting uh we at Axios have reported this out. The New York Times has reported pieces of it out. Every news story that gets written about this, you add some new names to the list of administration officials and Republicans who don't understand what Trump is doing. <laughs> so this sort of punnet toward after the election, I think, is sort of to appease McConnell and Barr and the Health and Human Services Secretary, who've all said we don't mm-hmm. want to do this. But the timing is not up to Trump. And it's not up to McConnell. It's up to the courts. You will need a plan... If they say you need a plan, and you will need a plan when they say you need a plan. And so can you go until after the election? Maybe. Depends on how quickly the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals rules and how quickly you get up to the Supreme Court. But there are no guarantees of that. And it's not like a legislative thing where you it's your priority, and so you just sort of decide when you want to do it. This is on its own 
timeline. It's its own animal that they have to respond to, not drive. Right. Um, it's just the idea that overnight they'd be able to come up with a replacement plan right. when they haven't so far. Right. I think it's just it just defies credibility, right? Right. I mean and what's going to change? And I mean, look, it could happen that Democrats lose the house in 2020, but having picked up 40 seats, it would really be a kind of a wild swing for them suddenly to lose 40 seats, right? Right. <laughs> Especially because they can campaign on the exact same issue of pre-existing conditions that won them those 40 seats. It's you know, we're just doing the midterms again, but with a presidential race too. Right, uh, and with some Senate races thrown. Yes, in, right? yes, Which yes. Were, with a map more favorable to uh, more favorable to 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 Democrats than than yes. the last time around. Correct. Right. Good. Point. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was interesting. I, I mentioned some of these earlier that um, uh, our good friends over at Think Progress yesterday went back, where the, where the president now saying, "I never said we yeah. were going to do this." Sooner. I mean, as a candidate, he pledged, uh, uh, Think Progress identifies 68 times where day one. Yeah. Oh, and re- they tried. Day one. Yeah. Repeal Obamacare. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, uh, it not uh, Trump did, as well as they also identified a couple of times Mike Pence. This was September 20, less than two months before the uh, election down in Williamsburg. Uh, Mike Pence said on his first day in office, quote, he is going to repeal every single Obama executive order. He is going to repeal Obamacare. <laughs> yeah. Day <Right>. one. <laughs> <laughs> of his second term. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. No, they, <laughs> Think Progress found another great one. Uh, it's a guy who's on trial for Medicare fraud down in Florida. Uh, you mean Rick Scott? I was going to uh, say, is it a, <laughs> a more recent Medicare fraud. Uh, oh, 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 uh, and I see, a, yeah. a current trial. Um, but some of the individual statutes that he's accused of violating are part of the Affordable Care Act. So now his lawyers have gone into court and said, uh, DOJ, the Justice Department, cannot come in here and try to enforce a statute that, that they're... they're in another court saying is unenforceable. So, mistrial, please. I'm like, DOJ will probably be able to get around that because, you know, the whole government's still administering Obamacare. But still, it's just like this at DOJ, this clearly came from the top down. There are no career lawyers on signing their names on any of these briefs. And that's like that's why this matters. Yeah. Know, that this yeah. has been such a politicized process is like DOJ has really good lawyers, some of the best in the country. They think through things like Mm-hmm. Oh right, we incorporated a bunch of Medicare fraud statutes in the Affordable Care Act. Right. So maybe we shouldn't strike those down and make Medicare fraud legal. Now, meanwhile, on the other side, on the other front, um, it, from the very, very beginning, I believe even President Obama acknowledged that Obamacare was not perfect, yes. and there were ways to fix it. And yes. over time, it would be improved and strengthened and maybe expanded or whatever. And Democrats in the House have legislation to, in several cases, I'm not sure all the details, of improving Obamacare. Yeah. Um, I guess we can assume with uh, the Democrats in control that they can get there through the House. I, right? I think that's a safe assumption, yes. Yeah. 
uh, in the and, Senate, and then stop there. Stop there. Yeah. I mean, some of these. There's a lot in this package. Some of it is fixing uh, problems or glitches. You know, a little. Well, this goes up to here, and then another thing doesn't start until a little bit later, and so people fall into that yeah. trap. Unintended. Mm-hmm. You know the the things that when they were writing Obamacare, they were. Are there any big fixes in it that? Well, the biggest piece of it is not a fix; it's an expansion to make the subsidies that help people pay for their premiums uh, to let more people access them. They they now cut off at a certain mm-hmm. income level, and they want to expand that so that so that more people would be able to buy coverage this way. Uh, so that obviously would not succeed in the Senate, but you could see some of the. Smaller things, littler fixes getting rolled into a spending bill or one of these sort of self-imposed deadline crises that they always do a lot of forced training around. Right. If they allowed a vote in the Senate, I mean, I, I could see there might be enough votes just to, again, improve some parts of Obamacare uh, yeah. w- while it's at least there, right, for the next, even if it's only for the next two years. But um, Yeah, I, I don't, would not anticipate McConnell bringing that to the floor. Right. Um, I was interested in, uh, we were in uh, an article that you wrote about something else that's going on in big pharma, where you call it Uber for pills, or at least your headline writer did. Uh, That's me. Yeah, that's you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? You can just hop in a car and get your drugs or what? (laughs) Well, sort of. It's this, uh, the New York Times did this really good uh, investigation or or quasi-investigation in these new websites that are selling, like, Viagra and there's a low libido treatment. They also sell blood pressure medicine, but it's not the, you know, shady overseas bunch of typos at websites that have always been mm-hmm. advertising those drugs. These are American startups. They're tech companies that what you do is you go online and say, I want Viagra. You fill out a little questionnaire about your medical status. They then send that to a doctor. And the doctor says, just reviews. You don't ever talk to the doctor. You don't even Skype with the doctor. They just review your written answers and say, okay, here's your prescription. Or theoretically, no, you you can't get it. And so that's where, I mean, it's the argument that Uber makes that we're not a transportation company. You know, we're not providing you a ride because then they'd be on the hook for how much they pay their drivers and things like that. We're just connecting a user with an independent contractor. We're just a platform, is this argument that Uber makes. And these websites are making the same argument. Look, if you don't like that somebody got the prescription, the doctor wrote it. We just facilitated the exchange. But obviously, that's sort of a tenuous argument, both for Uber and especially in the healthcare context. Uh, And we're talking about drugs that require a prescription. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they get you the prescription, then you have to go to the drugstore or the pharmacy or, to get the, or, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, are there? How about pain pills, for example? Uh, how about opioids? Uh, I don't believe that's being done right now. From a business perspective, I don't think you would want to invite that kind of, you know. There's a New York Times story here. There'd be thirty if you were selling opioids this way. But yeah, I mean that's the. That still gets at the same fundamental problem here. Mm-hmm. It's like, at least in theory, the healthcare system is supposed to be you have some symptoms, you go to your doctor, they listen to you, and then tap into their clinical expertise to come up with a solution. It's not supposed to be, hi, I want this, will you please 
say yes because the law requires you to say yes. Right. And we just keep getting further and further. And, further. Uh, and according to your reporting, is this legal? Has it been challenged or is it? It is in a legal gray area. Hmm. There's no explicit prohibition. There's nothing you can point to in the law and say, well, obviously this violates that. But it's just raised so many red flags that I think people are starting to take a closer look at it. Right, right. Um, you've also reported that the um, the, the president already has had uh, two nominees to the Supreme Court. One of them, thanks, of course, entirely to Mitch McConnell. Yes. Um, and that he's sort of got a, a, a lineup of people who for potential new vacancies. Yeah. And saving one in particular. That's right. Uh, this was a story that I reported out with my colleague Jonathan Swan, uh, who covers the White House. Yeah. Um, when Trump picked Kavanaugh, there were a lot of conservatives and, and sort of religious and social conservatives especially who really liked uh, this potential nominee. She was a finalist in that process named Amy Coney Barrett. She is uh, an appeals court judge right now. She was recently confirmed. She's very conservative. She's very young. She's female. And her confirmation hearing for the appeals court uh, position sort of had a, a quasi-viral moment where Dianne Feinstein got into it with Judge Barrett about her faith, her Catholic faith. She's very Catholic. She's, it's very important to her. Mm -hmm. She's written a lot about it, and she has written a lot about Roe v. Wade. And so she sort of touched off a, a mini-culture war that a lot of people on the right sort of relish and that Trump really relishes. But he... So she was a finalist last time, and he has told people close to him, uh, I'm saving her for Ginsburg. <laughs> He's that confident that he'll be able to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He likes the idea of replacing a woman with a woman. Uh, and so that's the plan. And one of the champions of women's rights, perhaps, with a woman who would be just the opposite. Yeah, it would be sort of similar to uh, when Thurgood Marshall was replaced with Clarence Thomas. Like, yes, it is important to continue to add diversity to the bench and you, you are sort of checking that box but the idea that this is a similar justice would well, on the other hand it's not unusual i'm sure every white house has a list of potential uh supreme court nominees and i've already started some of the vetting just in case right because yeah. you never know you have a short list but i think the explicit yeah you know right yeah targeting this yeah. is this is the, I'm saving her for over there, and I said, "Well, you may not even get that chance, you know." As opposed to, I think, what a, a lot of administrations would narrow it down to some finalists, pick one, and presume that if there's another opening, they go back to that well of finalists and maybe also add to that shortlist. Right. As opposed to just, well, I already know who I'm going to pick. Um, in doing my scanning before the show this morning and and looking at all these sites, and I couldn't even tell you where I saw this this morning that reportedly during the Kavanaugh uh, hearings when it looked like that could go down, uh, Trump amused to somebody that he might, if Kavanaugh didn't make it or dropped out or whatever, that Trump was saying he might <laughs> appoint Merrick Garland. What? Oh, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, there were a lot of people. I was talking about Merrick Garland, that he's not such a bad guy after all. Maybe I'll just put him up because the Democrats wanted him, and that's one I'm sure I could get confirmed. I'm Which would sure have... he could have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he could. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, 
Oh. I think everyone around him who actually pays attention to this process is probably much happier with Kavanaugh uh, uh, than they would be with Garland. I, I think so, too. Anyhow, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, if I could only find out where... <laughs> <laughs> well, there were people who wanted him to pull Kavanaugh when things were looking bad and put Barrett in. Okay. And then who was um, saving. Right. God, we didn't even get to the expansion of the Supreme Court. Packing the court. you got to come back so we can talk about that next Anytime. time. Anytime. All right, good. Sam, it's always good to see you. <laughs> you Thanks too. for coming in. You follow Sam, of course, at Axios, axios.com. Uh, and so pleased to welcome, coming up at the top of the hour, a good friend from Wisconsin, Congressman Mark Pocan. This Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Bill Barr cheated. He didn't tell us what's really in the Mueller report. That's what some of Robert Mueller's associates are telling the New York Times. <laughs> are we surprised? Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday, April 4? It is The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. As we reach you coast to coast all across this great land of ours online, on the radio, and on television with the news of the day, whatever's happening uh, here in Washington, D.C., around the country or around the globe, we'll bring you up to date on the latest. Um, and in Washington here, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, what's happening down at the uh, White House where Donald Trump says, no, I still can't release my tax returns because I'm being audited. <laughs> the constant audit. And, of course, we know that the law does not say you are prohibited from releasing your tax returns if you're audited. Uh, he still claims that. Uh, and we'll tell you what's going on at this end, of, uh, this end of Pennsylvania Avenue where the House Judiciary Committee voted yesterday to subpoena, if necessary, to get the full Mueller report it's a good day to have in studio, always a good day to have in studio with Congressman Mark Buchan from Wisconsin, but particularly today, uh, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus. Congressman, how are you? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah. Stirring things up there, I know. Um, particularly going Betsy DeVos. Poor oh. Betsy DeVos. <laughs> picking on Betsy You DeVos. know, <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, poor Betsy DeVos. <laughs> yeah, right. If I thought she was just trying to be evasive, that would one thing. I, I just don't think she knows what her oh. department does or her budget was. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It, at some point On it became painful for her. I, I felt for her more, I think, than she did. The Special Olympics. <laughs> she did not. Well, she did not have a clue and, how many kids were, and you had to tell her. Well, and Donald Trump then threw her under the bus, saying he overrode yeah, his people. I know. I know. And in three years in a row, he zeroed out the Special Olympics. So it wasn't just like that year was an accident, well, right? For yeah. three years, he did that. It's just you know. I think what happened is you know I looked at the Special Olympics, and you look at the cuts to grants that go to states for 
kids uh-huh. with special ed, and then cuts to programs for visually and hearing impaired uh, children. And you know, I have two autistic nephews, and you start looking at this stuff, and you're like, what, what's the administration's problem with kids with special needs? I mean, when I was a legislator yeah. back home, they often of- if funding was tight for schools, it did sometimes yeah. pit different parents, uh, and this is not something we should do. Absolutely. Save that for us. We'll talk more about that. But first, a couple of big headlines there. You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so in Indonesia, they have their famed Komodo Island, which, of course, is where the Komodo dragons live. Well, they are shutting it down to all visitors in January of 2020 for the entire year. You want to know why? Because the Komodo, they want to give them a chance to, I don't know, reproduce, have some time off. Or... That's not totally wrong, but here's the here's the thing that blows my mind. They are shutting it down because people are going to Komodo Island and stealing these, <laughs> these the world's largest lizards. They are deadly, dangerous lizards, and people are stealing them. In fact, there was a recent arrest of nine men who stole 41 Komodo dragons. And when you do that, of course, you can sell them abroad at about $35,000 per lizard. That's what they're doing. They're selling them to... Yep, Rico collectors. Yeah, Jack. they're selling them to collectors. There's that Mar- that movie with uh, wasn't it um, Matthew Broderick where uh, they uh, some club that ate endangered species oh. and they were doing a bust of it. It turned out at the end of the movie, but it was a Komodo dragon dinner. There, yeah, having. no, no, I forgot the name oh, of the movie, but I know yeah. what you're yeah. talking about. I mean, you know, this is the the age old question: How in the world do you steal a Komodo dragon? Very carefully is is how you do it. So if you had big plans on going to visit the famed Komodo Island just outside of Indonesia, uh, those plans have been scrapped. And it should be pointed out, too, that these uh, lizards are considered to be a vulnerable species uh, by most nature conservationists. So if you do get to go back again, for God's sake, leave the lizards there. Save our dragons. Save the dragons. Save the dragons. This is the Bill Press Show. I can't release my tax returns. I'm under audit, says Donald Trump. Well, the uh, tax law says differently, and the Democrats yesterday said all we want the IRS commissioner to do is follow the law, release the last six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. What do you say? Hello, everybody, on a Thursday, Thursday, April 4. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. And being part of the Bill Press Show, coming to you live coast to coast from Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, uh, joining you on the radio, the great WCPT out in Chicago. Congratulations again to Laurie Lightfoot, the new mayor of Chicago, of an overwhelming, whelming victory, 76 to 24 uh, she won a real statement on the people of by the people of Chicago. They're ready for a new leadership, uh, new face, new direction for that great city of Chicago, and they're going to get get it with Laurie Lightfoot. And we're joining you, um, of course, on television on Free Speech TV. Here with us in studio from the Second District of Wisconsin, co-chair of the uh, Progressive. 
Caucus in the House, Congressman Mark Bocan. Congressman, good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. So, um, boy, you've been involved in so much. We were talking about um, Betsy DeVos uh, wanting to cut the funding for the Special Olympics. And another case where Donald Trump gets her up there to make the case. Yeah. <laughs> you had to rescue her by telling her how many people, kids, were going to yeah. be cut out of this program. What were they thinking? They weren't. I mean, and, and the, what I think was the worst part, and we kind of built up to it in the questions, was they also had a 15% increase mm-hmm. in executive salaries in that budget. So while the department overall got a 12% cut, don't oh. forget, you know, you cut all these programs for special ed, you uh, you have the additional funding for uh, charter schools where one out of four were failing in a report that we had uh, that just that day that came out. But to then up all the executive salaries while you're throwing, you know, kids in special ed their funding away uh, just made no sense. And, you know, the public outcry was bigger than I even expected just from uh, that small moment. Well, we... Um we played on the show, and we're proud to play the, your clips, uh, reminding uh, or informing the secretary that 272,000 yeah. kids would be impacted. Uh, and then you almost had to feel sorry for Betsy if she came up here and fell on her sword for the administration, <laughs> and then Donald Trump throws <laughs> her under the bus, <laughs> stab her in the back, throw her under the bus. Yeah, I told I overrode ruled my people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I know last year when she appeared before that subcommittee, a reporter happened to be walking next to her as she was leaving with her staff and she turned to her staff. She had another not great day and she goes, Well, that was another great day. <laughs> so, oh, is that right? Yeah. So you know, but she you know, it's tough to be a billionaire, Bill, you know, yeah, and is, you know, yeah. when you only have so many yachts, it's just really difficult. So I understand I feel her pain. Uh, does the wind ever blow in Wisconsin? <laughs> yes, it does. Is that right? Do yes. you have any wind energy in Wisconsin? Um, we do. In fact, in my uh, the western part of my district in Lafayette County, we just put in a, a big wind farm, and I think there's another one coming up, uh, going to be constructed next. So, well, how could you do this? Because you realize you're <laughs> causing cancer. I know. Or it could stop blowing, and you can't watch TV. That's right. Yes. I know. So here is Donald <laughs> Trump. Yes, these are the the Trump greats. This is Donald Trump. Uh, at the Republican fundraiser uh, at the National Building Museum, talking about here's the problem with wind energy. <laughs> Hillary wanted to put up wind, wind, wind. wind. <laughs> if you if you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations, your house just went down seventy five percent in value. <laughs> and they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? <laughs> you know the thing makes it so. And of course, it's like a graveyard for birds. What's, what's that sound again? What, what sound does the, uh, what do they make? It says, rrr, rrr. And then, and then he also pointed out, as you, as you you mentioned, that sometimes the wind doesn't blow. Right. right so therefore, right. blackout. Right? Yeah, right. You can't watch TV, no nothing. So you wonder, you know, what he believes and what he doesn't believe. I understand if I had... Um, what was on top of his head. <laughs> I would be a little concerned about wind and that might be my enemy as well. But uh, yeah. it is just ridiculous. We've seen him a couple of times. Where <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, right. Where the, wind, See that. the wind picks up that rug. And, right. Uh, yeah. It's a bad look. It is oh, a, yeah. No, I, oh, yeah. Not you know, a rug. It's real. I mean, it's if you're going to get a rug that that's, that's that cheap, at least get a nice pattern to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's why you haven't found the right one yet. No, right? you know, hey, looking? I saved 10 minutes 
minutes a day, uh, and you don't know how little I spend on shampoo. So, like, I'm I'm proud. I'm I'm ahead of the game. But I I do think that Donald Trump, you know, that's the reason why he doesn't like wind. Well, what I thought was funny yesterday is that Senator Chuck Grassley, loyal Republican, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not necessarily Trumper, but he's become one. I mean, yeah. I mean he supports the president and everything. <laughs> he is uh, a big champion of wind energy. Oh, they have a lot in a Iowa. A lot of it in yeah. Iowa. And so he said yesterday that the president's comments about wind were idiotic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said he wished that some somebody at the White House would inform the president that he, Chuck Grassley, is the, like the champion of wind energy. And he thinks that if Trump knew that, he would not be saying the things he says about wind, which is crazy. Right, right. He but, doesn't care. Uh, fine, if that makes him get up in the morning and do whatever Donald Trump says, then you know that helps him get out of bed. But uh, yeah, Iowa's got lots of uh, wind, and then yeah. you know solar. We have eight and a half kilowatts on our house uh, back in Wisconsin, and you know this month my utility bill was thirteen dollars. There's nothing like paying $13 for your monthly utility bill. So, um, you know, we've got eight and a half kilowatts and March's yeah. was a really good month. And But those are things that when you do that, someone locally has to put that on your roof. And someone, you know, we yeah. used to build yes. the windmill blades in Wisconsin. Uh, when I left the legislature, yeah. we had some tax yeah. credits. Scott Walker got rid of them and killed the industry. But, you know, you don't want to transport those far away. They're huge if you've ever seen them. I, I went when they were constructing the wind farm in my district. I went. And it is amazing to see uh, that in the process of happening. But that happens forever. You know, you're going to have wind forever. You're going to have sun forever. And, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Well, the sun goes down at night. Oh, that's right. Well, okay. <laughs> so, therefore, Not that's, forever. that's yeah. the same problem. With, but uh, I want to be careful about this. I don't mean to overstate. Every time I do, Carol tells me I'm overstating it. But we have solar panels on our house yeah. right here in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. just a couple blocks away. And uh, we actually get a check four times a year yeah. from, not from the utility, but from the solar people, whoever. We yeah. get a check because we generate more power than we need. Yeah. See, unfortunately, so like some we states- have a little powerhouse on top of Like Wisconsin, we only get the wholesale rate back. They disincentivize it oh, because yeah. the big utilities didn't like it. So we get a quarter of what we pay oh. back when we over- So you don't oh, overproduce. No. There's a huge disincentive. But when you look around the country, and we looked a lot into this- um, you know, the price keeps going down Absolutely. on solar and in wind. Um, Iowa, when you drive through, and that's in my area, I drive through a lot to help candidates, um, you know, in every other November. There's so much uh, and so much power comes from there. And it comes into Wisconsin and other places that uh, it's, it's a really efficient way of doing energy. Are we going to ever see the full Mueller report? I think we'll see a, a good chunk of it because there's probably going to be a fight over the redaction. That's my guess, right? Um, right now, the Jerry Nadler did the right thing by getting the subpoenas ready, but also being responsible enough to say, fine, I'll give you the less than two weeks you said you need to do this properly. But they better not come back with a whole bunch of redactions. You know, I had a fight recently with um, ICE, and there are 83 arrests in Wisconsin in September. I did a Freedom of Information Act request because they weren't giving me any information as a member of Congress who sits on the Appropriations Committee, which was, I thought, kind of crazy. And it took me 138 days. I finally had to go and humiliate them. I was handing out flyers outside of ICE that said missing. It was my FOIA request asking people to post it by the water fountains and coffee machines finally got the information 297 of the 400 pages were redacted so if we get something like oh, that yeah, clearly yeah. that's not getting the Mueller report and that's right. not going to pass the public test of getting the Mueller report right uh, and you saw the story in the New York Times this morning that several associates of Robert Mueller said yeah 
that because a lot of Americans, I believe, feel because Donald Trump has made such a point of it. The Mueller report came out and it totally exonerates me. The Mueller report did not come out, right? All no, we've seen is right. a four-page summary by Bill Barr. I'm guessing maybe a dozen people out of 325 million people in the country outside of the Mueller team have read this report so far, right? right. So yeah. right now they're doing the redacting. So what we saw was 65 words out of an almost 400-page report. And even the president's attorney general, after he booted the last attorney general, uh, said it did not exonerate the president on charges of obstruction. So even, right. you know, your your hired gun couldn't even go better than to say you weren't exonerated and hear the president saying he's exonerated. So I yeah. got the feeling it's going to be a juicy read. Right. And that's what these associates, uh, several of them have told The New York Times that uh, associates of Robert Mueller told The New York Times that Bill Barr really sugarcoated the report that it is much more damaging in its fullness, right, if mm-hmm. you read the whole, than Barr indicated. Yeah. Even on collusion, it documents collusion. It just doesn't say it was a criminal conspiracy. Well, and you saw um, Barr start to, I think it was last Friday or the Friday before, start to walk it back a little bit because he knew more information was going to come out. But he did what he had to do, put that out in the beginning so the president could have a couple days of nice tweets. And then now, once this information gets out, I, I did find it uh, very heartening, though. And again, once again, I trust in the American people, only 29% of the people think he's been exonerated. Mm -hmm. So he gets 35% almost always in the polls just because he's a racist. And then if you have 29% believe you've been exonerated, even some of his diehard supporters for other reasons are like, yeah, but he's still crooked. Right. You know, and they still get that. So we'll see all or most of the Mueller report. I I agree. If if, if nothing else, somebody's going to leak it, I believe. After all, this is Washington, Mm D.C. Are we ever going to see Donald Trump's tax returns? Um, I certainly hope so. I'm glad. You know, this is something the Progressive Caucus had an amendment added to H.R. 1 to go after to see his business uh, returns mm, as well as the mm. personal. It was a top priority as we looked at it. We are glad that got included in the bill. And we're glad that our continual pushing um, and ways and means now has requested that. And I think it's important for the American people to see because once again, this guy... I think we're going to find, and you know, you and I aren't going to be shocked, but he's been lying uh, over and over to the American people. And his excuse about an audit is an excuse. That's all it is. It's not a reason. But every other president in modern history has shared his tax returns. And this all goes to things like the emolument clause violations, potentially. And um, if he's been overinflating on some documents in order to try to you know, sell things and then uh, underinflating for tax purposes, it just shows a pattern of distrust with this guy. And uh, I think it's really important for the American people, again, just to have the same scrutiny we've had of Democratic and Republican presidents uh, together in modern history. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the president's uh, excuses. He, he did it again Yesterday uh, was asked whether by reporters, uh, whether or not down at the White House, whether he would comply with this. So the letter was written to the IRS commissioner, but would the White House uh, encourage him to comply with the request? Here's uh, Donald Trump. Now, um, we're under audit, uh, despite what uh, people said, and we're... uh, working that out as I'm always under audit, it seems, but I've been under audit for many years because the the numbers are big and I guess when you have a name, you, you're you audited. But uh, until such time as I'm not under audit, I would not be inclined to do that. Yeah. The way he drives, I mean, he, he'll be under audit for eight years, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, and Honestly, I know many, many small business people. I've been a member of my chamber and convention business bureau back home for three decades. 
I don't know that many people who've been audited, to be perfectly honest, because generally it's because something doesn't pass a smell test mm-hmm. when they look at your returns that can bring you in. So if he's always under audit, maybe there's a reason he's always under audit, but it's still not a reason not to share your taxes. Right. right. Under the law, that, that, that there's no law against it, right? It's just that no. he's, he's just trying and to- And I want to know how much he paid for that toupee and whether or not he deducted it. <laughs> Now you uh, <laughs> is that fair? How about that's well, absolutely fair. Yes. Should, the American people deserve to it know. Really we should start know. a pool. I'm going with thirty nine ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for he never paid the guy back. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, now you mentioned progressive caucus, and this may be a little bit of inside baseball, but I think it's more than that. Is that uh, you and uh, your co chair, uh, our good friend Pramila Jayapal, mm-hmm. have uh, raised some uh, objections to a new rule instituted by the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, that says, as I understand it, uh, correct me if I'm misstating it, that um, any consultant or consulting group out there that does any work for anybody who's challenging an incumbent Democrat, Democratic Mm -hmm. member of Congress, is going to be on their S list, or at least is going to be taken off the list of Good people that you ought to do business yeah. with, right? Yeah. What are they trying to do here? Um, I mean, apparently, we're trying to be a monopoly, uh, which I believe most Democrats are, are trying to fix some of the antitrust laws when it comes to monopolies. But we're trying to use the power of our purchasing power, the DCCC, to bar small businesses from doing business with whoever they may need to in to be a small business and. You know, um, we were trying to keep this Doesn't in the family. Sound very democratic. No, and the small D, it's certainly not democratic. Uh-huh. And we were trying to keep the conversation mm-hmm. in the family. But unfortunately, this morning I saw Sherry Bustos, uh, after she asked us not to, to do it pub- pri- uh, publicly, came out publicly and decided to talk about it. So yeah. I guess, you know, we can talk about it a little more. And I, I do think that. I saw that this morning, too. She came out and said, we're not changing. We're not. I forget where yeah, I saw Well, it, she but. told us to, you know, keep it. In family, we were trying to abide by that, but then when she violates the rule that she puts out there, I guess there is no rule anymore. Um, but the bottom line is uh, a lot of our members have come in because they beat an incumbent, and we're not advocating for that. Progressive Caucus doesn't go out and recruit people to run against incumbents. That's not our goal. But I think it looks awful for the Democratic Party to be undemocratic. And, um, you know, it, it's just the, it's, there's a, it's the wrong path for us to be taking um, and as a small business owner, I'm personally offended by it because that's what big businesses do, monopolies do, right? That's how they squeeze out um, anyone else. And if you really want to have more minority representation in some of the consultants, because this is a very white male-dominated business, you're going to have upstarts that take on new clients. So you're going to make it harder for those kind of businesses to to prosper. So I think I understand what they wanted to do. The goal is to make sure you keep the majority. And that means keeping incumbents. And I understand what Sherry and the DCCC is trying to do there. I respect that. And Sherry's putting all kinds of people out in the field, and that's how you keep the majority, and I respect that. This was a misguided uh, action, and rather than reviewing it, she's trying to double down on it, and I think that ultimately will cost us a lot of small donors, and we've already heard from some big donors who are quite offended. And uh, In fact, one case, uh, someone asked for their check back, and and that's not helpful to the DCCC. No, it just seems to me, I mean, if the... Well, let me let me put it this way. So I uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, uh, had the opportunity to interview uh, a person I admire enormously, uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. Oh, me too. Yeah. This question came up mm-hmm. from the audience, and she said, "You know, 
let me put it this way. Somebody tried to, I'm an incumbent. She's been there 25 years or something like that. And she said, somebody's going to primary me last year. Well, she didn't say, no, you can't do that. We have to have a law. We have to have a right. rule that nobody can primary yeah. me. Rosa DeLauro, right? right, as great as I am. So she said, you know what I did? I doubled down and I got to work. Yeah. And she said, they have this system in Connecticut where it's like at, at a convention, right? Mm -hmm. And the delegates to the convention decide who's going to be the Democratic nominee for Congress. And she said she went to every caucus, every little group, every single delegate she talked mm -hmm. to. And when it came down for the vote, the guy that was going to primary her had one vote, his. Yeah. And so she said, that's what I did. That's, that's what you got to do. The democratic process, right? Yeah. 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 And, and she said, so that's what you do, yeah. right? You don't say nobody can primary. I mean, you just work your ass off. Right? Yeah. So uh, I thought that was the right answer. And, it, and it unfortunately, it discounts the many good things that are happening, which is yes. 60 field people right now this early is a very good thing. And I'm proud of the DCCC for doing that. This I'm not proud and, mm -hmm. you know, it's our member dues. And if our member dues go to things that I don't believe in, it's really hard to convince people to pay dues. Um, how many, what's the size of the Progressive Caucus now? I mean, we're about 40% of the caucus, somewhere between 95 and 100 people. Yeah. 40% uh, of the entire Overall Democratic, Democratic Caucus. caucus yeah. And among the freshmen? Oh, I'd have to look at the exact numbers. I think we had about good 20 to the, 25 of the new freshmen came in, our, our members. Yeah. Of the new freshmen, yeah. Yeah. Including people like Katie Porter, who's in a swing district. Mike Levin is in a swing district. I'm going to get in trouble if I start going down. Try to do it from yeah. memory. But yeah. there's a lot of people uh, in swing district. Katie Hill in a swing district. Uh, you know, go down the list, and they're progressives. And, you know, we actually have beefed up our political arm, um, our PAC for the Progressive Caucus. Uh, we just hired a, a political director now. Um, we had a, a PAC director. Uh, we're beefing up what we're doing. We're coming up with some ways that we're going to get more active than ever. Um, we work with our partners like uh, Move On and Indivisible mm -hmm. and um, uh, DFA and PCCC and all these other groups. And uh, I, I think what's going to turn out out of all this is uh, more time from progressives are going to go towards our efforts perhaps rather than the DCCC's. But you do, you are, you help recruit progressives to oh, run. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Do you help re recruit progressives to run against less progressive incumbents? Uh, no, we, we've not done that on the incumbent level, and we that's not our goal at all to do that. So, and I also will help a not progressive candidate who we can pick up a seat. Of course, that's yeah. part of what we want to do. But something like this, I think, uh, hurts our efforts when I know what it was intended for. It was a miss. And I think sometimes when you miss, it's okay to say, I made a mistake. And I don't think right now the DCCC is willing to do that. Who uh, should progressives be supporting in 2020 for president of the United States? And who is the Progressive Caucus supporting? Yeah, so uh, Progressive Caucus doesn't have a support mechanism for any of the candidates. Okay. Um, uh, who does Mark Pocan support? So Pramila and I, let me say this first, uh, my little caveat is we've decided to try to stay out of it for right now because we want to influence all the candidates to take up progressive issues, right? So that's important. Um, having said that, uh, you know, I, I respect a number of the candidates um, for what they're doing. I, I don't think we'd be talking about Medicare for All and a lot of the other issues that we're talking about now if it wasn't for Bernie Sanders. Um, so I, I have great respect for that. Elizabeth Warren keeps putting out progressive policy ideas, and I have uh, great respect for what she does. Um, you know, even candidates that maybe aren't as overtly progressive, Better Work came in my class, and, um, you know, there is no person you'd rather have be your brother-in-law or neighbor than Beto O'Rourke. He is truly one of the most decent people, and he came through Wisconsin and really excited people recently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, where I'm going to fail is once I start going down this list, there's so many candidates, it's hard to keep up. 
But there's a lot of really good candidates. But what would I like them to talk about? Medicare for all. What would I like them to talk about? Debt-free college. You know, what would I like them to talk about? Uh, you know, a good investment in our infrastructure and, and supporting, lifting people's wages. And uh, I think those are the kind of issues that we're trying to put out there and make all of the candidates talk about. Do you fear um, that uh, as a result of that, the party might m- move too far left? We hear that all the time, right? No, that's um, a, and you're from the Midwest. Yeah, so if, if I was a K Street lobbyist, if I was a K Street lobbyist yeah. for a pharmaceutical company, I would definitely want that narrative out there, right? Because uh, there are a lot of people in this town who make a lot of money off of trying to keep everything dead center, you know, right down that you know yellow line in the road, right where all the dead skunks uh, lie. <laughs> um, that's where they want us to do our politics. But reality is. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had the same message in, in one way in the last election. Uh, Donald Trump, I think, said it a little better when he said drain the swamp. Bernie Sanders mentioned how the system was rigged against you, and so has Elizabeth Warren. But I think that really caught on because people don't like how things are operating in Washington, and they've only gotten worse under Donald Trump. So I think that issue uh, surpasses anything else. And I would argue the center of the country politically is on issues like Medicare for All, where in a Reuters poll recently, 72% of the people, including 52% of Republicans, supported that. Our issues are the mainstream issues. Look at the support for um, uh, the Green New Deal. Uh, you know, uh, look at the support for the debt-free college proposals or raising the minimum wage and, and go down the list. Those are the dead center issues of the American people. And yet, again, the special interests here in Washington want to say, oh, no, those are the fringe lefty issues. What we really care about is another tax break for the pharmaceutical companies. No, <laughs> that's actually the problem that people hate more than anything is how the special interests operate. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned because I was going to ask you, when people say that usually... The parties, you know, the problem is they're going to move so far to the left, they're going to lose the, the, the heartland, the belt, you know, that, that we need. They always give the example of the Green New Deal. Right. And, and yet it has tremendous support from every poll I've seen. When you talk about it, um, I, I just did a rally, a walkout of high school students. We had like over a thousand students in Madison on this issue. It inspires people who aren't your traditional voters. Um, and... Again, those issues we know are at the center of where people are in the country, but it's, again, the special interests who want to, who, who talk to the pundits, who all put that in their ear, who are trying to make sure those things don't happen because they don't want to change their business practices to a, a more sustainable uh, way. And, you know, I think we just have to fight back. Bernie Sanders won Wisconsin when he ran last time, right? I mean, the heartland is ready for these types of messages. I see it. Tammy Baldwin won Wisconsin by 11 points, and she is one of the most progressive U.S. senators. So, uh, again, I, I think those are great arguments from people who make money off of representing special interests here in the Beltway and who want to spin things their way. Okay. So uh, now let's really get down to the skinny here. Milwaukee, Democratic National Convention. What's the best restaurant in Milwaukee? Oh, my God. You know what? I, 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 I'm i not going to answer that specifically. Let me answer it a little broader. There, right. Milwaukee is going to be a great place for a convention. So, first of all, you're on Lake Michigan. I grew up just south of Milwaukee in Kenosha. Uh, it is a beautiful lake, and there will be many events that will take, uh, mm-hmm. take advantage of the lakefront, and they have a great lakefront. The Third Ward and some other areas are all these old manufacturing plants that have been refurbished into you know, apartments and restaurants and everything. You're going to love having a really uh, good convention there. Uh, so it's going to be a good city for a convention. Oh, it's yeah. going to be very good. And, you know, <clears throat> here sometimes when you pay 12 or $16 for a glass of wine or 8 uh-huh. or 9 bucks yeah. for a beer— yeah. 
you don't pay that in Madison, or in Milwaukee, <laughs> in Wisconsin. Milwaukee. So you're okay. <laughs> uh, okay, and we do love the Great Lakes, you know. Um, and uh, okay, we got uh, <laughs> Donald Trump the other day was saying some nice things about the Great Lakes. Oh yeah, it's the deepest ever, I believe he said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which somebody pointed out is not really true that Lake Tahoe is deeper. I don't know. Well, that. but I think he said it was the deepest ever, as if like go. he did Here something we, about there, it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I support the Great Lakes. <laughs> Always are. They're beautiful. They're big. big. Very deep. They're deep. Record deepness, right? Record, deep. Record deepness. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking credit for the deepness yeah. of the Great Lakes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Folks, the Great Lakes were not that great before I was president. No. Yeah. Now, we made the Great Lakes great. Again, he's also the guy that cut out the funding for this Great Lakes. Uh, I know the initiative. Yeah, the initiative maybe it's the seven that makes up the toupee. Maybe that's what he's referring to. <laughs> we're going to figure this out. Yeah, we're going to figure this hey, out. You got a lot of work to do. Well, Congressman, thanks so much. Yeah, for thank you, Bill. In. Of yeah. course, as always. And she is back, back in Washington uh, from uh, California now. Uh, used to cover the White House. I was down there with her at that time for CNN. Jessica Allen's got a very fun new novel out called Savage Nation. She joins us next year on the Bill Press Show. A quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go on a Thursday, April 4, the Bill Press Show, as always, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, those good men and women all across the country on the front lines every day are firefighting departments protecting American families. Uh, we count on them. They never let us down. Check out their website at IAFF.org. Uh, and uh, con- thanks to them and to their president, Harold Schaetberger, for their support, uh, the good work they do, and for their support of the program. You know, uh, all of you uh, good friends on joining us on television, on radio, or online, that we don't often talk about books at all on the Bill Press Show. We particularly don't never talk about novels. If we talk about a book, it's usually some political book or usually one of my books, okay. which we always talk about. But we're making a big exception today for a good reason, uh, because Jessica Yellen is a good friend. Great reporter and back in the day at CNN, before even CNN, but I know mostly at CNN, um, uh, covering the White House. And she's got a great new fun novel out, which I'm just about halfway oh, through. Oh, I'm so impressed. Called Savage News. <laughs> Jessica Allen, just out this week, I believe, right? It comes out on Tuesday. You oh. have an early copy. Oh, no, really? Influencer. Oh, it's next good <laughs> yes. show. Congratulations. It's great to see you. It's so great to be here. Thanks and for having me. Full disclosure, we've known each other a long time. Your parents, uh, Ira and Adele, great, great friends of mine. Uh, you know, when I don't know whether you remember, when I was doing television in Los, An- Los Angeles, uh, I took a leave of absence. I was thinking of running for the United States Senate. And um, I ended up not running. But... I left my job on television. I announced on Channel 7 mm-hmm. that I was leaving to run for the U.S. Senate. I left the studio, and I went to your house. Is that true? Yes. Oh, right, my gosh. Directly to your house. And your parents had a great big fun. My I first do remember. fundraising party for me at your house that night. So they had TVs up. Everybody watched my last commentary. 
commentary, and then I showed up a half an hour later. That was your first. I love that was it. it. And that, so yeah. we go. They were back always passionate about politics. They were. That's how I got yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I had no choice really. Um, things okay. have changed since uh, since you wow. um, were covering the White House. So the novel is about a young female reporter who comes to Washington for a another network, mm. not named CNN. Unnamed. And is a, sent to the White House, assigned to the White House, uh, with, of course, some challenges to keep the job at the White House. How much of the novel is autobiographical? The novel is really based on um, my experiences and the experiences of my friends and stories I heard about in the news business. So there's no one-to-one, but they're kind of amalgams, composites. I mean, my first goal was to write a fun book. So it you has. You did that. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to say it has a reality TV star. It has a missing first lady. It has sex, palace intrigue, and it's not a Trump administration tell-all. <laughs> uh, what makes it different? No. <laughs> what makes it different from that is it's also about a driven young reporter who really wants to make a difference and comes up against some challenges. Spoiler alert: mm-hmm. sexism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also is operating in a world in which journalism and journalists aren't always respected or believed. Yeah. And, yeah. and has to deal with those challenges. But there are so many things that ring true to me in the book, and I'm sure will ring true to all of you, um, and particularly those of us in the news business, right? Uh, and particularly those of us in television. Well, what's been so funny? The ratings driven yeah. side of it, right? Yeah. Among other things. And the backbiting. And, Some you know. of the stories in the book that I wrote, uh, I I got feedback from readers and editors and pub saying, "Oh, you got to take that out. That's not plausible." And I tell my reporter friends, and they're like, "It happened to me today. What do you mean it's not plausible?" <laughs> so the yeah. things that are most hard to believe for non-reporters is the stuff that is so regular for us. And I really wanted to give people a window into what it's like to be under the pressures we're under and still. You know, you don't just have to find the story. You don't have to tell it well. You have to get it approved and through the system and out. All those things. And then defend your work and deliver it clearly. All those things are challenging every day. And more challenging for a woman than for a man. I mean, yes. Right? Simply put, yes. Yeah. There's a lot that I mean, you deal with. I'm just with. going through your. I don't want to give too much of the book away, but you've got to deal with the hair, <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> the so treatment, or whatever you call it. Was right? that news to you? Yes. So I, you know, everybody thinks there's me too stuff and all that, but the piece of this job that's about the appearance is very intense. You know, I came from one of these backgrounds where I had to work hard, and your work will get you ahead, and then you get into a TV business. And they're like, don't like that your hair is curly. And so you have to Mm go make the hair look the right way. And I mean, it's so very, it can be very confining. Also a comedy. I mean, the endless absurdities of these things is, it's just much more ridiculous than people can imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, a challenge and a t- and time consuming too. That the amount of time you have to spend, right? I Drip. always, I love that you notice that. I mean, no. we would wake up an hour and a half or two hours earlier to go to the studio to get your hair and makeup and your fake eyelashes put on before you go over to the White House to start your day of reading, reporting, and all of that. Because you have to have like the face done. No, I, I I still see it every day. You know, if I'm in, uh, the, not that I'm on the air every day now, but as much as I am. Every time in the makeup room, right, I go in and out in two minutes at the most, right? <laughs> We're on lockdown. You are right? in lockdown, <laughs> Half right? Half the face is done, moving on to the <laughs> eyes and lips. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, it's intense. The, the, the whole thing. The White House has, um, and also the the clothing, the dress. I mean, people are much more critical and much more demanding about how you have to look than, again, for a guy, it's easy. Put on a suit and tie and you're there, right? 100%. I mean, one of the funniest things is in TV news, you know, I come from, I always wear black and gray and white, you know, just simple. But you go into TV news and everything has to be jewel tones and bright colors. And uh, so when I left TV news, I went through my closet. Everybody who left told me, just do the purge. There's oh. like the secret code among ex-TV oh, reporters. Okay. You can purge the colors, honey. <laughs> Time to do it. It was so liberating. We had a guest in, uh, Peter, it was uh, Laura Barone Lopez. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Politico, right? Yeah, 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 from Politico. It was in just a couple of days ago, and she had a really uh, very colorful outfit on, yeah. right? And I said something about, I love that color. And she said, you know, I've started doing more TV. And she has to wear it. And she said, everybody said, if you're doing TV, you have to have 100%. these bright colors. And she said, I, I like wearing black. I always yes. wore black. And everybody said, no, you can't wear black anymore. No black, no no prints, no stripes. And it's very hard to find stri- like plain colors. It's a shopping challenge. I mean, or, I'll get into that another time with you, Bill. Okay. okay. <laughs> um so I still go to the White House when they have briefings. Let me just put the the White House, I'm sure you know, even from being back in Los Angeles, the White House has changed a lot mm-hmm. from the time you covered it. What do you hear from your friends that are there now? And what do you see? So there are a couple of things. One is I, I just have so much respect for everybody who's doing the work every day because it's exhausting. I mean, there's the piece of this where the, we've never been more – clearly shown in our lifetimes the value of a free press in our democracy. I mean, there is a reason it is the one private business explicitly protected by our Constitution, because it is there to ensure we have an informed electorate. And the people in this town are doing their job. They are living up to that right now. Um, the journalists who are practicing every day. I think they're under attack, under attack. Yeah. And they're up against uh, a real challenge. And, you know, Thank goodness we have, you know, independent news sources, independent outside voices who can really affirm that these attacks are not legitimate. Um, But the the insight I'd add to what most people see when they're reading the paper or watching on TV is that all of those attacks do take a toll on you personally as the reporter in the room. I've been the reporter in the room asking the tough question and you act tough and you go out on camera and you deliver your report um, but when you're being inundated by on Twitter and by a White House and by these powerful forces, it feels icky, you know. Over time, that gets exhausting, and um, and they're also working like crazy because I know mm-hmm. you have your day, and then you think you filed your story, and then Trump right. tweets at eight p.m. and you start again. So it's just like the city feels like everybody's very, very, very tired. Right, uh, and you know it's almost look. We were there. I forget exactly when you started, but I started covering the White House in addition to doing this show under the Obama years, right? So it was Robert Gibbs and then Jay yeah. Carney and then Josh Ernest, right? Yeah. Um, and there were some tense moments, right? And and as you know, we never got answers to, to all the questions we wanted, so you had to push. and That was part of the process, yes. right? It was a back and forth. But it was not open warfare. Today... When the very few times, and we've had two briefings so far this year, right? And it's April 4th. Is that it? Two. Remarkable. Two. Um, but the briefings, there are so fewer briefings. They basically got done away with briefings. They last, they always start later 
Gibbs was never always never on time, but not an hour and a half later or something. They just keep you waiting. Keep you waiting. And they last maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the most, and it's all open warfare, all hostility, right? I would even say that's it's what Kabuki Donald Trump theater. Wants, right? It's it's not a briefing. It's yeah. not a briefing. Good point. It's it's no. WWE. You know, this administration has decided that it needs an opponent, and when they're not in a race against a political opponent, the press is their opponent. And uh, and you know, as much as Trump says that he doesn't trust or like the media, he's clearly obsessed with it. Seems to watch all day long and buy the everything. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, I think sometimes. It's, it's very hard not to, to know how to not take the bait because the media ends up being the sparring partner now. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that needs to be explored going forward is what's a way to exit that dynamic? How do you cover this administration without um, giving him the fuel he wants? I think, you know, does every tweet need to be covered? I'm in the camp that it, they don't. I think that there's a real need to differentiate between the mountains and the molehills a little bit better. You know, a, a lot of one couldn't agree more. Uh, and I uh, admit, you know, just because I feel I have to, right? If you look at my phone right now, there are three or four tweets from Donald Trump, <laughs> right. right? Well, you look. But I look, but I just ignore most of them right. because he repeats himself all the time. I can't tell you how many times suddenly I'll say, oh, that's, he said that it's before. It's a rerun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seen yeah. that. Yeah. And, and also, not everything is worthy of our outrage all the time because I'm worried that we'll start getting outrage fatigue and the American public won't be available to engage when it's really necessary. And so it's important that the media is mindful of that and pay attention to being a little bit more discerning about when to drum up people's emotions. Right. And and one impact of um – Another uh, one of the more serious impacts I think of Donald Trump's relentless attacks on the media is there are too many people who believe him, right? I mean, look at the the, the real danger that some people have had covering his rallies, right? Still well, covering events today, right? And it, I think this is something that we need to talk about heading into the next election, which is yeah, it, a lot of reporters are actually worried for their physical safety coming into the election, and. There's mm-hmm. a real fear that there can be serious with, with violence. Good, yeah, with good concern, they're worried, I know, right? I yeah. know. And I don't know what you do about that. I mean, I have friends who are who go to the rallies with physical security guards now. I mean, I I remember covering um, some of the Tea Party rallies. Sarah Palin held this one rally in the Nevada desert, and I felt some of this, uh, where people would say, hiss your name and hiss the name of your news organization and there is a whole, you know, lamestream media, lamestream media, and then turn and point at you, and everyone's shaking. Yeah. And it feels very scary. You're just sort of surrounded. But you act like, okay, nothing's going to happen because I got a camera. Who's going to do something? Mm-hmm. Today it's different. Today it's different. I don't know what you do. You have to cover the rallies. But how should, do people stay safe? I should say what some of the networks have done and in print uh, outfits too is hire security to go with their guards. But they're not with you all the time, you know. You also, you know. Show up certain... in a coffee shop and somebody could yeah. come after you. I know. It's, and it's crazy we're talking about this in America today. Oh. <laughs> Jessica Allen with us. Here's the book. It has got two. So you can pre-order, of course, hey. even if it's not yet in your bookstore. It's called Savage News. Um a novel by former CNN chief voice arts correspondent. Yeah, I must say, Jessica, when you um, I didn't see you at CNN, I kept waiting for you to pop yeah. up. I wasn't sure where you're going to pop up next. What are you doing now? So 
Okay. Okay. So I do. And how can people find you, follow you, and amazing? You haven't I gone you away, though. right? So no, I am doing a newscast on social media. So you can follow me at Jessica Yellen, Whoa. my name, yeah. on Instagram. And what I do, I call it news, not noise. And I differentiate between the mountains and the molehills. I kind of go through the day and I say this. Do you is do what, it every day? I do it every day. Um, and today, uh, and I kind of try to break down in really basic terms uh, what's the most important story of the day. Try to make it smart and succinct and not panic you is my main goal. So you're getting a lot of shouting and outrage from a lot of the pundit panels. And I want to give you an alternative to that where you can just get news without a panic attack. What an idea. <laughs> no. Yeah. And how refreshing. <laughs> and right. actually, people want it. What would you think? What time of day do you do it? You haven't done your I do it in for the, the day, right? I do it in the uh, late afternoon. Late afternoon. Okay. From what you know, what do you think would be your big story? For, or what was either yesterday or what do you think was the big one would be for today? Right now, I think it's it's the bar story and this drama with the Mueller report. Yeah. Right, which we've been talking about right? this morning here, too. Yeah, that's, and that's big time. It's big time. I also think this is a perfect example of noise. Like, we don't have it. Wait for the report. There's this rush to judgment on every side and the endless need to dissect what's out there. It's not out there. For for an entire week, we've been talking about what the Mueller report says. <laughs> we don't. You're right. We, I, I started the show this morning by reminding people we haven't seen the Wait. damn Mueller report, right? So you'll no. be able, you'll be good on this. Can I ask you this? I think the equivalent would be if uh, Ken Starr had handed the Starr report to Janet Reno, and Janet Reno put out a statement saying there is no evidence of a crime related to the Whitewater land deal. Period. Mm-hmm. That doesn't describe the whole Starr report. Hardly. But it would have been true. Yes. So it's possible right. we're in the comparable situation. Just wait, and we'll see what the details reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair analogy? Absolutely a fair analogy. And and I think that uh, so these people who worked for Robert Mueller are saying, hey, wait a minute. Bill Barr, in his four-page summary of a 400-page report, didn't give the full story. You know there's stuff in there about collusion. Maybe not criminal, but there was definitely collusion. And you know there was definitely obstruction, well, attempts at obstruction. W- there was something they investigated for 22 months, right? And they were able to obtain search warrants under very high st- – I mean, there's something to be learned in that report. Um, I would also – and we don't know. I just – let's just reserve judgment. I also wonder what role Rod Rosenstein played in all this. Like Barr had been there for a hot second. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of wonder about the dynamics, how all this came out and what's coming next. The thing I try to keep in mind is that Mueller himself is involved in the next process – of deciding what's redacted and what's not. Remember, he said that in the letter. Barr said that Mueller will be participating in deciding what comes out in that final report. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I'd lost track of that. He yeah. said it's going to be decided with Rosenstein and Mueller. So Rosenstein's role is one that I, I haven't talked about, but one I've been wondering, wondering about, too. I, I would, wouldn't expect him to be an ally of Bill Barr. And yet, the and yet, summary. I mean, yeah. it was it's noteworthy. It mm-hmm. was striking. I mean, that was decided with Rosenstein. Right. Uh, so, I, I, you know, we're going to know a lot more in the rearview mirror. And I do think, you know, there's this dilemma is has the narrative been set? I think if the findings in the report are extremely different from what Barr said, it it will change the narrative. Right. Don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. Big time. 
And I think we're going to see the report. I mean, I think knowing the whole the whole report. Absolutely, I do. Somehow, knowing Washington, that sooner or later, one way or another, somebody will leak it if they don't release it. And I doubt that they'll release the whole thing. Do you expect a huge court battle? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. If it takes that, you know, it'll be a court battle. But oh. I, I just in this day and age, you know, Washington, you know, you were here as well. It just seems to me that. Particularly under this administration, there have been so many leaks. From uh, the it's amazing. I mean, in one way, the this reporters that I know who really cover there, like all day, day in and day, we have them come in here and they tell us they won't identify them all, but they all have their list of people who talk nonstop. It sounds yes, like. yes. In a way, it's the easiest administration to cover. It's yes. a lot of work, but everybody, it's like the leakiest ship ever. You just can find out from every point of view what happened in any closed door meeting. There's an entire industry around books written by people who have worked in briefly and left the Trump White House. It's crazy. That are cashing in. I know. I know. And it'll continue. I mean, also because there's it's just so unbelievable what happens. It's endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a leaky I, ship. So I, I tend to agree with you in the end. We'll see what's in that. Uh, Most I of that think report? it might have been in the post this morning. And yeah, there's a new book yet today. Um, the not Daniel Lippman, but the other two. Jake Politico? and Pumpolitico. Anna, yeah. And they have a new book. Come, I think it's out today or tomorrow or whatever. About Congress and the White House. And I know they had their sourcing. They said they have crazy amount of sourcing. Notes and emails and data proving everything that they're reporting. E- even they had an oval, oval interview with Trump himself. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. So that's the latest one. Then there was the Cliff Sims book that, you know, um, uh, they're just <laughs> endless. Yeah. Endless content. Right. It gets exhausting. So um, we're, talking, <laughs> we're talking about the challenges of covering Donald Trump for the media. I mean, do you think overall the media has done a good job of covering the Trump White House? I think the reporting has never been better. Um, I think that the outrage has never been worse. Um, and I, that's not to say there's a great deal to be deeply mm-hmm. aggrieved by and outraged over. I think it just needs to be um, the judgment needs to be more precise when to get outraged and when to tell people, OK, this is rude and wrong, but like, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because I just think everybody's being worked up into a lather. But I think the reporting, you've, it's astonishingly good. I mean, the amount of investigative journalism, just bootstrap. Particularly right? the New York Times and the Washington Post. Extraordinary. journalism. I agree. Yeah. Uh, do you think the media has uh, maybe... Well, I don't want to put any twist on it. How how has the media covered the Joe Biden case? I know. So, oh, this is such a challenging situation. <laughs> it's so crazy. I mean, to the correct, what I'd say is how has Joe Biden handled the Joe Biden situation? Not well. At, not well. And I think that anybody who has spent any amount of time covering Joe Biden knew that this would become, if not the, one of the leading issues for him, challenges. And you would have thought he would have had a whole strategy ready to roll out and respond, right? There should have been an, a quick yeah. response and statement, an apology, and then in a week of surrogates talking about all the things he's done. The apology right away. And Still haven't heard it. I mean, he's done one statement, two statements from his office, a video verbal yesterday. video, and no apology. So, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. you need to do that. And, yes, norms have changed the day before and the day after Me Too. But the thing that seemed to be missing from that video is the norm that changed was not that it was okay before and not okay after. The norm that changed is that before women weren't comfortable or allowed to say this doesn't feel good. And now we're allowed to say it. Now, 
it's important to know no one's accused him of assault or actual harassment. None of that. It's just that kind of handsy, don't do that dude kind of stuff. Yeah. And women, we it wasn't okay to say that before. It is now, and he could do a better job acknowledging that. I have to tell you just very quickly. Yesterday, I was downtown. I was taking a telephone call, and this African American gentleman who's on the chair nearby said. I didn't mean to overhear your conversation, but I know you're in the news. And he said, here's my advice to Joe Biden and to any white male. Pretend you're a black man. Oh, my gosh. If you're if you're approaching a woman. And he said, so interesting. You will hold back a lot more. <laughs> you know, and I thought that's pretty good. Right. Advice. And it shows you how everybody's experience makes a difference. It is so good to see you. Congratulations. Thank Come you back again so anytime much. You're in town. It's savage news. It's really a great, fun read. Whether you're in the news biz or not, you'll enjoy it. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you so much, Bill. Great to see you. Hey, the rest of the day is yours, folks, on Thursday. I will be here tomorrow for a rare Friday. So uh, have a great Thursday. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. Have a good one. This is The Bill Press Show.